0: Rise for their majesties of Royally
1: Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals.
2: Stand by, three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen.
1: And we are back with Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta, I'm Rachel, and there's a lot of royal news coming up. But before we get into all that, be sure you're following us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Also, check out the merch, we're approaching. The Platinum Jubilee Central Weekend. You need this. You're going to want to wear that Royally Obsessed sweatshirt with pride. It's shop.royallyobsessed.com. You can also email us at infogallerypodcasts.com. Rachel, what are we chatting about? Oh, my gosh. As usual, there's too much. So much. I don't know how we're going to get through it, but we will
0: because we are very excited about it. We have updates on the Jubilee, the Queen's health. Charles and William at Parliament, the Cambridges in Scotland, and this is huge, Roberta. Drum roll. (laughs) Tina Brown, author of The Palace Papers, joins us this week. This was surreal, kind of, right? Oh, so surreal. I just feel like she,
1: uh, we were a little bit starstruck. She's such a big name in the royal world. So it was an incredible conversation, too. So good. I loved it. I'm so excited for you guys to
0: hear it. What are we sipping,
1: though, while we get psyched for that? And now it's
2: time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail.
1: So Rachel and I were lucky enough to try this Sugar Wish. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. It's like a gifting platform that you can order like candy and other things from, snacks. And they partnered with Vinebox, which does the single serving wines, which I love. I'm so all
0: in on the single serving because it gives you like a glass and a half and then you don't waste a bottle, but you get like a nice, like relaxing end of your evening.
1: And there's nothing better than candy and wine. I got I loved that combination. I and I used all the candy. <laughs> I got same. only gummies, basically. <laughs> same. How was your mother's day, Rachel? It was good. It was so relaxing. And
0: Matt got me, which I'm over the moon about as a gift, Matt and Finn, I should say, um, a private tennis lesson, which I'm just like <gasps> oh, I'm nice. playing every Thursday. I'm so excited to have like a one-on-one. I play with a group every Thursday, and I just I really can't wait. But Please forget Mother's Day. You are no. on a whirlwind wedding tour.
1: This is... It truly is. I should be a professional wedding guest. No, we're in like the the last half of it. So it's like two weddings down, one to go, and... You know, then I can sleep later. You're an all star friend, though, and I feel like you've also gotten
0: to go to so many cool destinations. It Do is you really have a cool. favorite of all the? I don't know if you're allowed to say that, actually, for anyone listening, but a
1: favorite location. I have so to far. wait till I'm done with this coming weekend. Where but is this weekend? I've been in two of the three of the weddings, which is a lot. But um, so it was Cabo first, then Palm Beach, and now coming up is Lake Burton in Georgia. So, yeah, it's, quite so glamorous, it's been so Roberta. much fun. I feel like you. I like you know, the exhaustion is real, but it's also been just such a delight to see people I haven't seen in so long. And it's like a reunion every time. So yeah, I love it. It's great. I love your picks. (laughs) All right, this week in royal history.
2: history.
0: We are looking back on the coronation of King George VI on May 12, 1937. Roberta, gosh, so long ago. This was interesting to me. It was the first coronation to be broadcast live on radio and TV, but it was on the then fledgling BBC. I mean, it's wild to think that it it had just launched the November before the coronation. King George VI also acceded the throne following the abdication of Edward VIII because of Wallace Simpson in December 1936. He actually remarked because the coronation was planned for his brother and he, George made a joke, same date, different king.
2: <laughs> because I like that.
0: They had to just, they kept the, it on the calendar but they just made that change at the last second. I want to play a clip from the actual ceremony.
1: We are inside the Abbey for the most solemn and dramatic pictures that have ever appeared on the screen. The ceremony that has remained unchanged for a thousand years.
2: Inside the West Door... The members of the royal family take their places. The princesses Elizabeth and Margaret Rhodes with the princess royal. The king prepares to take the oath. The archbishop asks him if he will solemnly promise to govern
1: the peoples of Great Britain, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the Union of South Africa of your possession and the other territories to any of them belonging or pertaining, and of your empire of India, according to their respective laws and customs. I solemnly them how to do. I equally picture Jared Harris and Colin Firth from The King's Speech <laughs> going back and forth in my mind. That's like who I'm visualizing, but you can kind of tell the... Uh, speech impediment nervousness coming yeah, through a
0: little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And for this occasion, I thought it was fascinating. No expense was spared because they really wanted to make it clear that it was business as usual. The abdication was so earth shattering as we know. Uh, there were some mishaps that happened that I thought were just funny details from coverage from 1937 that I dug up online. The it Dean kind of West... It was a shit show, right? Yeah, it, <laughs> it
1: was, was like... Kind of, it exactly. was like, this person's not supposed to be the one on the throne. Like, or not not supposed to, but, you know, it was just planned for someone else, which is Well, it's supposed to just
0: be like, so the precision is everything so the Dean of Westminster fell down the stairs carrying St. Edward's crown but luckily it had like ribbons that tied it to the pillow mm. so it didn't just crash to the floor um, a lot of guests fell asleep it was abnormally long which Queen Elizabeth has mentioned in, in later years um, chocolates and lozenges fell out of someone else's pocket because also we all bring chocolates and lozenges to these types of things so it all wait just how fell. do people
1: know that like it, they were all over the floor it was
0: someone up at the front yeah it was like oh. someone <laughs> one in a prominent position, like in the shot, like yeah. in the video shot, <laughs> it wasn't oh just God. a rando guest, yeah. but it just all made it feel kind of human. And then there was one news bullet as I was reading, I really went down the rabbit hole. I did this solely as Robert knows, we were kind of up to the wire with Tina on yesterday. But there was a news bullet that Hitler was not given an invitation, and it was a technicality because no heads of states were allowed, but like it was, it also seemed like it was one of those intentional technicalities. So he, oh gosh, it was a yeah. news item, like it just. Just really speaks to the time that, you know, this was pre World War II and all of that. So,
1: wow. And really crazy. I mean, I think what's fascinating too about this time is that, I mean, this is something that like the prequel to The Crown is supposed to cover, right? And mm-hmm. there's all this drama about, you know, King Edward abdicating and Wallace Simpson and marrying for love. And I will be so excited if they do, in fact, make a prequel about this oh my time gosh. because The Crown season one picks up just as. Elizabeth and Philip are marrying. So this has already happened already.
0: Yeah, it was just as dramatic. Like, I think we're just in our generation's time. But you're right. Like, I want to relive all of this as well. And not the same as a coronation, but we did see Prince Charles leading the way for the state opening of Parliament yesterday, which was a really big deal. William was there as well. But the Queen missed it for the first time in 59 years. Wow. I mean, I think just reading some of the coverage of it and watching some of it as well, it was so apparent that the queen was still in charge, you know, because Charles didn't even sit in the sovereign's throne. He sat on the consort's throne, which is where Prince Philip would sit. And also remarkable to me was that Charles had first did this when he was 18. He first joined Mm -hmm. his mother for this occasion. William's doing it when he's 39. So it's just a reminder of just how long Charles is waiting and he still is quite, is not there yet.
1: Right. I like some of the memes too that were like, like, no one can top this bring your child to work day. <laughs> and it's like a shot of William on the Oh, that's so good. I didn't see third. that one. That was good. And also, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because then it's like we're in a, a sort of pre-regency time right now where she can't make it to these things. And so Charles is the regent because of this act that they passed. Mm-hmm. But then she's not officially incapacitated. So he's exactly. not actually acting as king yet. But it is this, like, really slow, gentle transition. I also want to mention, too, that the Queen had a major milestone this weekend. Did you see this? That she's now the third longest reigning monarch ever. So we're like kind of going up the rungs of the ladder slowly. Yeah. No, and one other
0: thing about the Parliament thing that is fascinating, and I saw some coverage, I think it was Camilla Tomini, said that it really was remarkable, the loss of femininity. Because it was Mm. William and Charles, it just suits. And we're so used to the queen's colorful style and even just her demeanor and everything. So not having her there was...
1: What about Camilla?
0: Camilla was there when she wore black. Like, it wasn't as, you know... Like, I think we're just so used to those candy colors and... Charles sort of felt like he was going through the motions. So
1: I totally agree. I think I feel like they looked really dour. They looked really mm-hmm. sad. And like William especially very very William. Yeah. yeah, and that was kind of striking to me because I think he oftentimes is very humorous and like upbeat about stuff. But yeah, I think it, it's probably like the weight of such an occasion of taking over yeah. for um, his grandmother. So yeah. there was also one other news bit about garden parties right that oh yes can't, yes the so there Elizabeth will be four yeah.
0: three yeah. at buckingham palace one at house of hollywood house
1: mm-hmm. in scotland yeah
0: they're on the schedule for this year they haven't been for a while because of covid but the queen will not be in attendance so there'll be other members of the family stepping in
1: and i do have kind of this question mark of like these mobility issues like it's just because she doesn't want to appear in public in a wheelchair like it it really bothers mm-hmm. me in the sense of like about appearances and like what does that say about people with disabilities who have a wheelchair or just like it's it's okay to be in a wheelchair like I just think that we would all be totally understanding but it's in this particular case like looking at pictures of years past of garden parties there's grass there's gravel it's like not the same so parliament was still like uh why like that feels a little wrong to do that but for garden parties that makes total sense like it just even in a wheelchair would be totally difficult
0: how exciting to not know who you'll be mixing and mingling with like Kate and William breeze into the garden party like I don't think they're confirming who will actually be hosting I didn't see any names. yeah
1: all right moving on <laughs> new segment alert roberta
0: i am gonna set a timer for 60 seconds because there's so many jubilee updates and we don't want to neglect those but we just want to give you kind of the the rundown of what's like happening I to get, so i have to get like, you ready mentally
1: ready yeah no, no. Like, i'm really putting the pressure on you do you like that this <laughs> i'm we'll just, just okay. saying the drill but you're doing all it. right you start it and then tell me when to Let go me find my timer hold on
0: okay i am
1: ready i think and go okay so jubilee updates we have the Cambridge is going to Wales, Princess Anne to Scotland, and the Wessexes to Northern Ireland during the Central Weekend. We also are going to see 10 of the 12 great-grandkids ride in a horse-drawn carriage as part of a Gallop Through History gala performance at the Royal Windsor Horse Show, which is coming up. How they're going to have seven-month-old Sienna in the carriage, not sure, but it'll be interesting. Maybe she has... Beatrice with her I don't know there's also going to be this party at the palace concert that we all know about that's already been happening for quite a while and it's on Saturday of the Central Weekend and Rachel I'm sending you an image of what the stage is going to look like because it looks amazing click on that link
0: clicking clicking what (laughs) time am I 15 seconds Roberta
1: Check oh, it wow. Out. This is
0: stunning. Everyone Isn't it Google crazy?
1: This. Remarkable, beautiful. It's this I'm giant circular stage right in front of, of Buckingham Palace and the this light show and her image as a silhouette of Queen Elizabeth behind them. It's truly breathtaking. Did you hear we my timer? Uh, uh, I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. I'm literally done. That was
0: so good. Oh my gosh. We got it in. It's really exciting. The buildup is huge.
1: I cannot wait. You did a
0: great job.
1: Thank, Thank you. I feel like I need a break for a second. You should go to the Cambridges, and then we'll do the Sussexes. Does that <laughs> Wait, work? can I just
0: ask one quick question? I'm just one minor follow up. You said that Sienna. So, do we know the two grandkids that are not in the horse drawn carriage, or is that not Archie confirmed? and Lily? Oh, it's Archie and Lily.
1: Yeah,
0: womp I womp. know. Okay, Bummer. moving on. But how
1: are they going to do that with Sienna being seven months, and then August is what one year?
0: Yeah, I don't get that. I don't That's get confusing. it.
1: I'm like, is there going to be George like a. going to hold one of them? Yeah, like that's why they were <laughs> Maybe practicing. Maybe there'll be and a nanny. video of them practicing. But, yeah. anyways, we'll get to that later.
0: Okay. Right. Mother Henry. Cambridge something. updates because there's a fear. All right, let's dive in. Okay. So, we just wanted to talk about the big one, which is the fact that it, the Earl and Countess of Strathern are in Scotland for two days this week. That was sort of it was on the calendar, Roberta, this visit or no? It was
1: quickly announced, but yeah. it's like uh, it came out of nowhere, really. The
0: Cambridges have been like a lot of last minute announcements, I feel like, in the last week. But um, they are there for a couple of days, as I said focus on mental health initiatives. The big event that we saw ahead of recording was that Kate and William participated in Roots of Empathy, which is an initiative they started to help with the emotional development of children. This also, this occurrence or occasion comes on the heels of Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK, which was from May 4th through the 9th. I wanted to touch briefly on the video that Kate posted last week. It was on Archie's birthday that it was shared and Kate got some flack, but it was basically announcing her new patronage with the Maternal Mental Health Alliance. I think, you know, people were frustrated or taken aback only because there are thoughts that there was neglect with Megan in that. You know, Megan has stated that in terms of during her pregnancy with Archie. I feel that... That's not a part of this. Kate is very, very clear on her commitment to the needs of early development of kids and mental health as a part of that. But what do you think, Roberta?
1: I mean, I think it was a little bit odd too that it didn't really line up with the start date of that week. And so it was like why it was midway. do Midway. Yeah, it was midway. So why do it on that particular day? And you know how thoughtful they are about like what's going on. But I feel like I've been seeing less
0: of that. I think there's been a lot of calendar
1: conflicts that I'm almost like, have they made
0: a decision to just not pay attention to that? But it is strange to have that post on Archie's birthday. I mean, I get to imagine too, though,
1: that like as we get closer to the Jubilee, like Rachel and I feel this and we're like, podcast hosts about the Royals, like, that our schedules just become so much more tricky. And we're, like, booking up and booking up for, and we have a lot of surprising things coming up for you guys, just a side note. But anyways, I do think that you're right. It's probably that just, like, they kind of have to put blinders on to other stuff. Well, I feel a little
0: bit of whiplash with all the Cambridge's appearances lately. Like, you know, we don't have time to even dissect them but we saw Kate at the British Fashion Council night out shout out to her hair because we always (laughs) talk about it but she really is going for these really sleek styles very modern we saw William playing badminton that was unannounced we then this was announced that they were in Manchester yesterday for A really poignant ceremony to honor the five-year anniversary of the bombing during the Ariana Grande concert, which I honestly can't believe it's already been five years since that. Five
1: years. I thought it was like last year. But I
0: do think looking at their calendars, it does feel like they are – genuinely and their schedules are in overdrive like so. they're almost
1: outshining each other like william and kate are like having the same events on the same day and all this stuff and and the royals even it's like no one's paying attention to what princess anne is it's well yeah. it's just a lot it's hard to, it's to keep up yeah
0: i did want to just give a quick honorable mention to the cambridge's social media because i do feel that it's been really artistic lately and it almost it doesn't terrific job of spotlighting the cause as well as them. I don't feel like it's just photo, photo, photo of them. They're very mm-hmm. much in the background, and we noticed that a little bit at when they were on their tour, mm-hmm. Caribbean tour. That was beginning. I don't know if they have a new photographer, but I just, I'm, an,
1: I'm digging the vibe. Shout out to that. All right, we want to close out our Royal News Roundup with the Sussexes, and this is why they weren't mentioned in my one-minute, 60-second Jubilee updates. Did you catch your breath, Roberta? <laughs> I've I, now <laughs> I've now caught my breath. So the first thing is obviously this balcony news and the fact that they're going to be at the Jubilee. I think we just didn't know that before. Rachel and I were texting over the weekend while I was at the wedding about this polo calendar debacle because we were freaking out that there was like this schedule crossover with the Jubilee weekend and him having a game and that he's going to play every single game, 12 goal game. No idea what that means polo right over my head. I mean, completely just have no idea. I don't even think it said 12 gold. It said like 12 stand. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But it's exciting. We need to talk about the balcony. But first, I want to get into the fact that we are going to probably see them at the St. Paul's service of Thanksgiving. And it's just going to be so interesting to compare and contrast to their Commonwealth Service Day, Westminster Abbey, that kind of chilliness we saw with them and all the other family members that was in march of 2020 so this is now like they're back and Mm -hmm. they're in a similar setting obviously it's saint paul's but it's just going to be interesting to see that um we also can't forget that it's lily's birthday june 4th so yeah that central weekend and the first time she's meeting her great-grandmother and the rest of the family obviously Um, okay but rachel i want to talk about this balcony appearance quickly because we I feel like have a little bit differing opinions. You wrote an amazing story on Pure Wow, an opinion piece all about it, which is incredible. Everyone should go read it. What's the headline? Well, it's basically I just
0: I feel I am concerned that it's a mistake that they're not going to be on the balcony for Trooping the Color. I just think that that is the moment. You know, we had Omid on the podcast. I think it was like six weeks ago now. And just his remark that these photo ops are really what can sort of recenter the conversation around family dynamics and what the state of things are. It is for optics in a lot of ways, but I do feel that it's just a miss to not have them there. I don't like that potentially the decision that it's working royals only is a choice that's maybe made conveniently to eliminate Andrew, but it in turn eliminates the Sussexes that are not on the same tier.
1: Yeah, and I I see your point, but I'm also yeah. questioning whose decision it really was because I'm not totally convinced that Harry and Meghan wanted that optics. Yeah, that's they very wanted true. to give them the chance when all that we've just talked about, all that Meghan suffered during her, you know, mental health struggles when she was pregnant, and just. Then saying, oh, it's fine, smoothed over, we're all on the balcony, look at us, big happy family. Yeah, I I think for them too, it's like, maybe they don't want that.
0: Yeah, they very much could have declined. And I put that in the piece. I think that it's just, I'm disappointed that if it was a decision related to just solving the Andrew problem and just, it seems like... An olive branch low hanging fruit to have them be a part of it. And I think mm-hmm. that looking back in time, like I think you would want Harry and Megan to be there. Like it just Well, I
1: do think there is gonna be a Sunday and Yeah, that that, that's what there's, there's supposedly the about. chatter, the rumors mm-hmm. are that there's gonna be a big, huge family balcony appearance on Sunday. And hopefully Is that they would confirmed be... or that's just a rumor? That's that's like there's supposedly like the pageant is gonna have a balcony appearance. Okay. And that's on and Lily's actual it's birthday, not, right? And that's Lily's actual birthday. Yeah.
0: Well, so then that would be even better. I mean, I hope for all of those moments. I think that it's hard just speculating, but I do. I just, I don't know. It read as a mistake to me when I first saw it.
1: So I do think, though, like, and just one last note about that is that, like, what the Queen did with that, I think, is a little bit admirable and a little bit of a stroke of diplomacy in that way, because I think they aren't you know working for their her majesty anymore they aren't doing those duties and so it's kind of fair it makes mm-hmm. sense to me and i think you know it's nothing about shutting people out it's about well they obviously didn't want to up there but i do think that it's okay well you're not carrying out specific duties for you know even their patronages some of them they've said goodbye to their patronages so it just to me makes a lot of sense and hopefully we see them on another balcony yeah appearance. it does draw a very clean line yeah But we'd love to hear your thoughts. And also, there's a great, um, also another story by Peter Hunt that is really good about that decision and um, an interesting take. So then the last thing is just this Travelist ad, and we're (laughs) gonna uh, Harry appeared in a Travelist ad with a couple actors, which I am familiar with, which I feel kind of like because I just watched. Tika Watiti's show on HBO Max called Our Flag Means Death. It's a Mm -hmm. pirate show and it's a comedy. And it is pretty funny. You have to take a few episodes to get into it. But two of the actors from that show are in it, Reese Darby and David Fane. And so here is a clip from that little ad they did. Does this ring any bells? What is it? It's a
2: lolly wrapper. Okay. You
0: dropped it. I don't think so.
2: Well, according to my report, at 2.17 p.m. October 29th, Bethel's Beach, Tamaki Mikado, New Zealand, 2018. Might have been a confusing time. It was windy. I don't think it was confusing. It was an incredible time. We had an amazing time in New Zealand. It's beautiful. I know, right? It's a jogger's paradise. Oh, hang on a second. That's okay. It's a walkie-talkie.
1: It's this idea – the skit is this idea of, you know, instead of you rating your hotel stay or this restaurant you visited on vacation or whatever it is, the idea is that the trip is going to rate you, which kind of blew my mind a little bit yeah, because I've I been really, staying in a lot of hotels and I'm like, God, I use so many towels. Even that, that, that clip like,
0: you chose, like, it, it would be incredible if you had some documentary crew following you and, like, you dropped – like, you dropped a single lollipop wrapper and someone documented that and you're like, yeah. gosh, like, even trying to be conscious – you're dropping. Or like the amount of water moments. bottles,
1: like when you're on yes. vacation, like you kind of just like lean toward like a plastic water bottle. It's like, oh, that's so easy. But it's like, really, you should be thinking about. I just, I'm in the midst of traveling so much right now that it really hit I need home to for chart me. This. Yeah, there was the girl dad shirt as well, which was a sweet shout out to Lily. But then the New Zealand 2018 mention. He had says we had a great time, and this was fascinating to me, Rachel. I don't know if you knew this, but Tina Brown, one of her excerpts. Um, talks or in the book, she talks about that Meghan Markle was left mystified when thousands turned out to see her and hated every second. This is a quote: hated every second of her quote pointless trip to New Zealand and Australia during 2018. This is what Tina Brown writes. This oh, is her wow. her sources telling her Meghan hated every second, thought the trip was pointless, supposedly. And this is rumors. You know who knows? This isn't confirmed, but supposedly the Sussexes are so upset by this particular quote in tina brown's book that they actually want to do another interview so i don't know that's totally rumors that was i think i saw it in marie claire but it's fascinating that harry calls that out specifically he says we had a great time in new zealand it was amazing so just the the timing of all this is is um he does a great job acting in this as well i did feel like it felt There was
0: a touch of eeriness when, like, people just sprung from the bushes because that's probably kind of true to life for him. But Mm. I liked that they played – I mean, it was clever to play on that.
1: It was a long ad, and it wasn't as tight as it should have been, and it could have been a little funnier. Like, the punchlines weren't, like – I just And don't the think, call
0: to action. I think that there was no call to action. Yeah, which like, I ended
1: up finding the quiz on travel, what and is I it? took it myself and I got a four out of five rating. But I don't feel like I answered it totally honestly. So it's just a rating, like you say what you do on your trip and then they give you a rating to see like how sustainable you are Of a traveler. But then it's like, what's the next step? Like, yeah, is that I was collecting Because It was a really great setup. Yeah, I think it's just like awareness, but it doesn't feel like there's actually any. Uh, there's no actionable thing to do. So I don't know.
0: Really, really fascinating interview with Tina Brown.
1: We are joined today by Tina Brown, author of the famous Diana Chronicles and also her brand new royal tell all, The Palace Papers. She obviously needs no introduction, but just in case, Tina is the former editor-in-chief of British magazine Tatler when she was just 25, first female editor-in-chief of The New Yorker and Vanity Fair and founder of The Daily Beast before heading up Newsweek. She also received a CBE from the Queen in 2000 for her services to overseas journalism. Tina, Rachel and I are delighted to have you on
2: the show. Thrilled to be here, really.
0: I spent my Mother's Day reading your book. I've been reading it for the last <laughs> week, but my husband was so nice to clear the path to my child and let me just cuddle <laughs> up. And the book is so fantastic. So it's really just... I'm so a-
2: glad. I like to feel that you're sitting there in the rain coming down. It and was really book. rainy. It was just my perfect yep. day. So anyways, perfect.
0: thank you again for being here. But before we get into the book, we really wanted to ask you about the news that broke last week that Harry and Meghan will in fact be at the Queen's Platinum Jubilee... But the big caveat is that they won't be on the balcony. What do you make of that? Is that a smart decision by the palace, a mistake? We'd love your thoughts.
2: Well, they're trying to be consistent, right? I mean, the queen is saying, the palace is saying, the only people on the balcony need to be senior working royals. And of course, Meghan and Harry famously are no longer senior working royals. So it actually would have been more of a break with their protocol to have them attending on the balcony. Personally, I'm a little sorry they're not going to be there because I think they are family. And I bet the Queen's sorry, really, too, because it's I'm told that backstage at those big balcony occasions, it's very much a family party. You know, it is celebrating the Queen's kind of official birthday. And that's the atmosphere in the background there. Do you think they'll
0: likely be backstage? Do you think it just limited no, from the balcony?
2: No, it's it's purely the balcony uh, includees. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be at other events. So yes. um, that's good that they're coming back. I think it's a shame if they weren't there at all.
0: Yes, we are so thrilled to see the news that they will be participating. And Archie and Lily in some way, too.
2: Yes, indeed. And the Queen gets a chance finally to meet with Lily, who she's never met. Right,
1: exactly. Well, speaking of the Sussex kids, you refer to that exit as scorched earth, maximum mayhem. Is there one mistake that you think that, is there like the number one mistake they made in your in your mind?
2: I think the mistake they made was impatience, really. I mean, real impatience, because this was a very hard to negotiate exit plan. And it really did have a lot of considerations attached because it affected constitutional issues it affected William's children as precedents. It affected financial issues, it it affected security issues, you know, so there actually were a lot of knotty things to to unravel. And they just wanted out, you know, and they just wanted to to charge ahead and just like, get it done. And in this instance, I really do think they'd have got a much better deal if they'd been less impatient.
1: Mm -hmm. But is there a way back for them? I think you mentioned something about you know maybe once Charles is king, do you think that opens the door for them at all, coming back into the royal fold in some capacity? Or what are your thoughts there?
2: My guess is that Charles is really going to want them back, sort of need them back, actually, because Harry and Meghan were huge assets to the whole kind of royal repertoire, frankly. I mean, they had a young appeal that was very, very potent in the country. The problem is that Harry keeps throwing new hand grenades all the time. Just when they are hoping they can sort of start to get on an even keel, there's another news bang from Harry. And I think that it's causing a great failure of trust. So it seems harder and harder for them to sort of knit back the family if if Harry keeps on throwing the news bombs. The sort of the most difficult thing for them to deal with is the fact that he's decided to write a tell-all memoir. And that sort of is hanging over them now like something in the future that they don't know what's in this new book that he's writing. There was a great deal of consternation about the book because, you know, Harry's always said he doesn't want his privacy invaded. And yet here he is kind of invading not just his own, but theirs, you know, with this book. So it's a very tough moment for them all as a family to kind of accept Harry back in unless somehow he can agree to sort of, okay, everything we're saying here is off the record. They're afraid that things they say to him right now are going to wind up repeated, uh, either in the book or on a news show.
1: Yeah, which sort of leads us to William, because I feel like, you know, and this is explored a lot in your book as well, the relationship between the brothers. I think everyone's endlessly curious about the relationship there. What to you is hype and what's not? Like what's media just kind of fluff and what's actually real between them? There's
2: no doubt that these two brothers were really, really close. I mean, one of the scenes that I kind of love actually in the book is when, Harry uh, had to be yanked out of Afghanistan because the press broke the news that he was there. And once that news broke, it meant he was too much of a danger to his men to stay. And it was a crushing moment for Harry to find that he couldn't do what he most wanted to do in the world, which was to continue to serve in Afghanistan with his fellow officers. So he was yanked back. He was very, very unhappy. There was a news conference, you know, uh, as he landed with members of the media who had been promised an interview with Harry as soon as he got back. And William could sense from the back of the room, because William was there with his father, that Harry was just in real distress, that, you know, he was fragile. He was trying to be uh, a good soldier about, you know, talking to the media. But it was clearly agony for him. And even though there had been a promise that he would talk to the media, William just suddenly got off and he made a kind of gesture like, you know, pulling a knife across a throat as if to say cut 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 we have to cut and he and he embraced you know Harry and they, they went off together and they got into the waiting car and that was about a brother really feeling for his his sibling and feeling sad worried and anxious for him and to make sure he was all right as a human being as opposed to simply a symbol of the monarchy. And it's particularly sad when he, when you consider that that kind of relationship was now sort of sundered by what happened subsequently, i am told that there's very little relationship between them at all right now it has not been the rift has not mended the rift that was caused when uh, harry felt that william was not understanding of the fact that he wanted to marry meghan and wanted to go forth you know, you know as fast as he could to marry her and william said hold on you know don't don't rush this you need more time which harry very much read as him being condescending and a snob and all the rest Actually, I think that that was Harry misunderstanding William because William was just anxious that there had been no time for Meghan to really understand what she was getting into in the royal family and that she very likely might not like it or want to be a part of it. And guess what? That turned out to be absolutely true. William had made, you know, had asked Kate to wait 10 years before he married her. It was a long, long, slow courtship, which kind of led to lots of sort of jeery comments about, you know, weighty Katie hanging around, waiting to marry William but it's turned out that actually they were both really right to be careful because it's a huge commitment to come into that family. A lot of things about it are really difficult. It's not a lot of fun a lot of the time. Not really at all like the kind of glamorous uh, sort of, you know, princes and princesses in their palaces atmosphere. Backstage, it's quite a different atmosphere. It's tight. It's There's so many things you're not able to do. Your freedom is curtailed. You're scrutinized all the time. It's not a fun, really a fun way of life. You have to be committed to doing it, and so really, William was saying, "Look, you know, make sure that that, that Megan can can you know can live this life." And turns out she could not.
0: Yeah. One one thing I did want to ask that you talk about a lot in your book is what is the ripple effect of the TV tell all on William? Because I do feel like you talk about the impact of Panorama, but also Jonathan Dimbleby. Is that a part of anything? You know, or how does that affect? William's feelings and sentiments as Harry and Meghan come back into the fold and mending those fences.
2: Well, I think what's been proven is that each time a member of the royal family sits down for an ask me anything interview on television, it's an absolute disaster. It's happened four times now. We had, you know, the interview, famous interview with uh, Jonathan Dimbleby in the in the eighties when Prince Charles admitted on camera that he'd had an affair with Camilla, that he was. Uh, We had, you know, Diana's famous uh, explosive interview with Martin Bashir that still has ripples, you know, 25 years later. And you have, of course, Prince Andrew's disastrous interview that he did. And finally, you know, you have Meghan and Harry. So each time they decide to sit down with, a, frankly, a, a, a talented interviewer, It actually causes so many problems for them that you would think that by now they realize that's something they should not do.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Andrew, we just want to get your opinion because it's also, you know, he's also set to be absent from that balcony for Trooping the Colour. What do you think? I mean, will Prince Andrew ever really go away?
2: Prince Andrew's sort of done in terms of, uh, he's cooked in terms of his public reputation in the last kind of twilight days of the queen he may still be able to get his face into one or two things but you know he's never going to get his face into anything as soon as the queen has passed because charles and william both particularly william who has much less sentimentality it's his uncle who he doesn't really have a particularly close relationship with they both see andrew as a disastrous uh, uh you know tarnishing uh figure in in the royal lineup and so he's been essentially cancelled banished out of public life and the problem is that at the moment, you know, still the queen, you know, he's still a, a favorite of the queen, and she's she has essentially stripped him of all of his public, you know, honors. But he's her son, you know. So I mean, you know, he should there he was escorting her down the aisle at uh, Prince Philip's a memorial service, which was, you know, everybody was like, what, you know, what is he doing there? Shocked, but, yeah, to see
0: yeah, him. <laughs> was a shocking.
2: It was a shocking image, but I guess from the queen's point of view. You know, it was his father and her husband, and that was her personal decision. I don't think it was planned that way. I'm told that that Andrew was supposed to hand her off uh at the you know at the beginning of the church to the dean, but he kind of pushed his way in to make sure that you know that photograph happened. Nonetheless, the queen is not really going to say no to Andrew at this point in her life. She um you know, she is frail now.
1: So he's out. He's completely done. Charles, when Charles is king, no way back. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good news, I guess.
2: <laughs> Something um, to be grateful for. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly.
1: Um so the Palace Papers picks up after Diana's death. And I found this excerpt from one of the interviews you did fascinating. This is a quote you said, I don't subscribe to the now pervasive narrative that Diana was a vulnerable victim of media manipulation, a mere marionette tossed about by malign forces beyond her control. So wh- what was Diana to you then if she was not this marionette? Well,
2: she was much more interesting than that, right? I mean, and people tend to think of Diana as a sort of static figure in the sense of, that the Diana at the end of her life was the Diana at the beginning of her life. She grew, changed, and evolved during that 16 years that she was a member of the royal family. So yes, she was an innocent an innocent victim, actually, at the beginning of that marriage. She was a child. I mean, she wasn't even quite 20, which is extraordinary when you think about it, when she became betrothed to, to Charles. And, you know, she she was a, a child with, a, with a, a sort of very naive concept of what it was going to be like to be married to Prince Charming. Uh, even though her family knew the royal family very well. And she'd grown up, you know, in royal circles. It's very, I mean, people say to, to say to me sometimes, oh, well, she knew what she was getting into. I'm sorry, but does anybody know what they're getting into at 20? I mean, she was a child and she had no idea that Charles was in love with somebody else. She thought she was marrying someone who was badly in love with her. So for her, it was a bitter, bitter experience. However, as time went by and, uh, you know, she endured everything she endured, she became a different Diana. She became much more savvy. She became very, very smart about how to manage the media. Uh, she was had a tremendous innate gift for uh, media manipulation, if you like, you know, it's the harshest word for it, but I would say media management. She know, knew how to uh, essentially sometimes play off the media against Charles so that she always had the upper hand against him, and by the end of her life, uh, she frequently tipped off the media herself about where she was going to be in order to send some kind of a message, either to Charles or to make um, the real love of her life, Dr. Haznak Khan, to, uh, a Pakistani doctor she was so mad about, jealous. You know, she she was always trying to send messages to Hasnat Khan to say, look, I'm out with on the town with this person or on that person. Uh you know, you may not want to marry me, but others do, you know, and she would pose and she would let the press publish those photographs. So there was a much more complicated um, sort of subtext, if you like, to the Diana of later years. That's what I really meant. And I and I think that she was very shrewd and very canny in many ways, Diana.
1: Do you think for James Hugh, I just want to ask, do you think she put those stories out there? Was she kind of the instigator for some of those or...
2: Well, what interested me was that, you know, James Hewitt published his memoir about his love affair with Diana when uh, she was at her most unhappy. And at the time, everybody felt, uh, you know, that James Hewitt was an absolute, you know, traitorous wretch mm-hmm. for having published this. But what I you know learned in the course of this book was that actually Diana had been sort of half encouraging to him because she wanted there was another book being written that she thought would actually cast her in a much less good light. In the about the affair. And she wanted, you know, another version to come out. There was a more saccharine version, a more kind of traditionally romantic version that cast her in a much better light as a sort of, you know, a victim of a sad marriage who turned for comfort to this uh, consoling young officer. And so, you know, once again, this was Diana being quite canny and, mm-hmm. and in, in her image management and not the kind of Diana that we keep reading about today.
0: Well, and you mentioned earlier Martin Bashir with everything that's come out since that interview panorama. Was Diana, we're so curious, was Diana in control of that situation or not, in your
2: opinion? Well, I definitely think that Martin Bashir was disgraceful in the way he manipulated her paranoia about the royals by lying to her and saying that members of her closest circle were selling her out. Members of the family were leaking on her. So he worked on her paranoia to make her feel that she had to speak out for herself. However, when she decided to do the interview, what she actually said was completely her choice. I mean, she really thought about what she wanted to say on that show. And she said what she wanted to say. She basically said that she was, you know, had been betrayed, that uh, Charles really wasn't fit to be king, that she had been um, shunned and, and all the things that she said on that show were really about her gaining the upper hand in what she knew would soon be the inevitable divorce negotiations. And she really wanted at that time, Diana, to establish that she was a victim very clearly in the mind of the public to to better really her leverage in her divorce case. So Diana knew what she was doing. And it worked, by the way. At the end of that interview, she had a 92% approval rating. And went on to uh, get a very, very good and lucrative divorce settlement from Charles, far better than anybody else had ever got in the royal family. I think it was 16 million pounds, which, you know, and lifelong inhabitants of of, uh, Kensington Palace. She wasn't able to keep what she had wanted to keep, which was her title of HRH, Her Royal Highness. She did lose that, but she kept everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a win ultimately, and I agree. She had great clarity yeah. of thought in that interview. Which brings us to Queen Camilla, because this is also recent news, and you talk about this. Are we right to forgive and forget here? Because I think that that's something that, for my own personal perception, you know, thinking about the evolution of Camilla in my perspective, in our perspective, it's hard to go back, re you know, reading the palace papers and the Diana Chronicles, just the level of manipulation and her involvement and the pressure on Charles to go in Diana's direction. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, actually, I do feel strongly that, I mean, Prince Charles, who's never really seen as a kind of tragic romantic figure, but he is really, because he fell in love with Camilla very early on, wanted to marry her, loved her, couldn't really consider even marrying her because she wasn't of, she was an aristocratic woman girl, but she wasn't nearly of the sort of level of bride that was being considered for him. Plus, uh, she was the person who'd already had sexual experience, uh, unlike uh, what was expected at the time, that he should marry a virgin, which was so ridiculously, you know, archaic. In fact, finding a virgin in, of, of 32, and which was his age at the time, was about you know, as difficult as finding the Loch Ness monster in London's (laughs) society.
0: Hearing the newscasts from that time, too, where they actually at the wedding mentioned Diana's virginity. It's just mind boggling. (laughs) Yes, it was
2: insanity. I mean, it was complete insanity. So then he had to go look younger and younger. That's why he wound up marrying a child, right? Because he couldn't marry any of his contemporaries because none of them, you know, had passed the the virgin test. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't marry the woman he loved. He stayed in love with her all of that time. She married somebody else. It was really a long, long time that he stayed kind of emotionally faithful to Camilla, essentially. And he had to marry someone who wasn't in love with because he was told to. And so when it went wrong, it was all complete agony for him. And he still was in love with Camilla all of that time. I mean, I can, I have really developed a great affection for Camilla as a character. I think she's sane and, and amusing and stoic and decent, actually, and kind. And, and and you know, very, very much uh, his supporter and has really gone through a tremendous amount because she's, you know, been his great sort of rock all the way through his life. So I actually think that Camilla um, is a very uh, sort of sympathetic figure. And the interesting part is that when the Queen said recently that she would like Camilla to be known as Queen Consort when Charles ascends the throne, it was a very interesting and actually kind of sort of seismic message because what she was really saying was, It's actually possible to earn this this role. Mm -hmm. It isn't as important that you are completely to the manner born, that you're royal, that uh, you're necessarily, uh, uh, you know, the first person the person marries. You know, she's a divorcee, after all, Camilla. It's more important that you understand about this being, this role being about service, duty, and the long, long game that it takes. Camilla has shown she can do all of those things, But that's a very sort of new development, essentially. I mean, this was a woman who wasn't even allowed to come to Charles' 50th birthday, which the Queen hosted, because she said, you know, no, absolutely not. You know, she's divorced mistress. No, you know, we're not having you at the birthday party. And now she's going to be called Queen Consul. So that's a kind of huge change, which in a way hasn't quite been understood, I think, as seismic as it is. Yeah,
1: I think. And that's one of the things that surprised me about the book was how, you know, you say Camilla's salty, good fun. And I think, you know, that paints the picture. It changes my mind a little bit about her as a person. So are there you did extensive, extensive research for the book, over 100 palace sources. What surprised you most about in your research for this book?
2: I was just sort of reminded just what a what a difficult role they play. You know how it is a cage that they live in. And they've somehow got to find a way to be human in that cage. And I think I felt really by the end of it that the kindest thing the queen could do is to sort of give each one of the non-senior royals a big check in her will and say, go off now, be free, live the life you want to live. You're not constrained here anymore, living in this crumbly, you know, palace situation as a kind of cage bird who has to perform these duties it's very, very uh, hard life, frankly, for them. And everybody kind of mocks them and says, oh, they've got all this, you know, privileges and so on. Honestly, I don't think one of us could stand living in that environment for very long. Mm. So that's my sense. You should liberate the cage birds. And, you know, whichever one of the children is willing to sort of take that role on, should take it, whether they're born to it or not, whether they're the first in line or the second in line. It so happens that William is the first in line. And it's a good thing that he is, actually, because he does have the temperament and has seemed to have bought into his destiny, which is to simply be a person who serves the people in the crown. I mean, that this is going to be his destiny. And even more important, his wife has bought into it. I mean, Kate is a modern, you know, beautiful, smart, well-educated young woman who has actually thought about it at length, watched it up close and said, I can handle this. I can do it. And she is doing it. But, you know, Prince Harry, if he'd been the firstborn, he he wouldn't have lasted ten minutes because his temperament is far more uh, hot-headed. You know, he's much more impulsive. Uh, he's much more emotional, and I think could not have, have have sort of survived the 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 life of sort of denial, really, essentially that that comes with being the mono.
0: But you and you say the Czech part, like if the queen said that at the end, you know, and. Do you feel like the monarchy can and should survive? You think, like, I'm curious what that means for the future, you saying that.
2: I think the monarchy can survive. I think that it, it's there's no big movement for getting rid of it in the UK. It is this composed, calm, safe space, uh, you know, at the top of the British uh, state, essentially, that is nonpartisan, that embodies the national identity, the national history, and there is i think a, a great deal of still of respect and affection essentially uh for the monarchy in 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 the uk and as long as the members of the family are willing to continue uh to serve the concept of the monarchy then i mean frankly people are lucky that they they will you know actually
0: but it does seem like you need like a william and kate like i don't know if you could put like edward at the helm i don't know
2: <laughs> well i know but training is interesting you know yeah. sometimes I mean actually harry might have been i suppose a good king if he'd had the training and the and the and the sort of uh the destiny awaiting him i mean william you know william always knew he was going to be king and actually diana always tried to groom him for that role i mean diana for all of her her uh, hand grenades that she loved at the royal family was a monarchist actually she wanted william she always saw her, a very important part of her role as a mother was to groom william to be king and to groom harry To be able to support his brother in that role. So people sometimes say, oh, you know, Diana would be so pleased with what Harry's done, not necessarily, because Diana actually thought it was more powerful, I think, to to work inside the monarchy, that you could actually, you know, the symbolism of some of the many of the things that she did was enhanced by her being a, a member of the royal family. Whereas uh, rather than a member of the royal family who who'd left it behind.
1: And in Harry's case, it too, it feels like the spare is always the one that has issues. You know, Princess Margaret is what I constantly think of as a comparison and and just the racist treatment of Meghan in the press, too. It feels like a lot of factors
2: as well. But yeah.
1: we we want to know, Tina. I mean, 500 pages later, we still can't get enough. What's your next project? Is it Royals related?
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I don't know. This was a very hard book to write. You know, it was a big canvas, 25 years. I was writing it in the middle of the pandemic. So all of these interviews had to take place on Zoom. You know, it's a hard book to write. Of course, now I've finished writing it. I thought, thank God I finished, but now I miss it. Now I miss my characters. (laughs) I, I like living. I like dwelling in those problems, actually. It was a sort of wonderful it's a wonderful escape. I mean, the reason that people love reading about the royal families is it is a kind of escapism. And and it's also a community act, you know, because everybody is interested. It's not like a show that only half the country is watching. Everybody's watching this show and everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody has their favourite character. And uh, I think that will continue because it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, there's only a few years to go, sort of 10 years' time. It's all going to be Prince Georgie, right? And Prince <laughs> Gosh. And Princess Charlotte, like, who are they dating? That. We who are can't they- wait, oh. I know going <laughs> to be so much fun to read about Prince George, Charlotte I think- especially. I mean, so yeah. absolutely. And I mean, actually, Prince George, I think he's one of the most beguiling children. He's the only child other than my own my own that I've ever followed on Instagram. He's just got, (laughs) it's that little toothy smile is so adorable. Yeah. It's so great.
0: I know it's so true. We're just leading into the next generation, but Tina, we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, if you could identify with any Royal living or dead, who would it be and why?
2: I mean, Elizabeth the first, sorry ladies, but she's my She's my heroine. You know, she was extraordinary. I mean, she had such courage and stature and she was such a scholar and she was so such a, you know, such a piece of work in every way. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go for Elizabeth, I think, the first. I love it. That's great. We haven't had that answer Yeah, yet. we haven't heard it. that one yet.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, where can everyone follow along, keep up with you? I mean, everyone will definitely promote the book, but is there anywhere?
2: Well, you know, I'm, I mean, I do tweet from time to time, but okay. I've gone a little quiet recently because I think tweeting has become a hazardous act. So <laughs> <Very> <laughs> you'll true. have to tweet on my behalf.
0: All right. <laughs> But truly, it's been such a delay. We, I mean, this was an honor for us to have you on the I'm podcast. So pleased. And I'm the so glad you're
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye, bye.
1: All right, should we do our highs and lows? Let's hit them. It's time for the royal highs and lows. I just think my low is that there was no third birthday picture of Archie, which is kind of what they've been getting us used to. But we did get the the behind-the-scenes footage of the Queen's great-grandkids practicing getting into that carriage for the Royal Windsor Horse Show. So I am super excited to see that. I was disappointed as well. It's not going to pick.
0: My low is a little bit bizarre, but I don't know if you saw this, Roberta, that Gordonstoun, the preparatory school that Charles Mm -hmm. attended... Recently, promoted the 60th anniversary of Charles's first day of school. Mm -hmm. They shared new photos of a 13 year old Charles acting in a musical. I get that he's the future king and you want to shout out your alums because that's a big deal, alum. But I can't help but think about the student experience where Charles is very much expressed how he was bullied and didn't enjoy the
1: time there. And that's what they're. That's the student they're calling out to promote. It just seems bizarre to me. It seems so odd that they yeah, especially like we know he I keep reading hated about Gordon it. student Yeah. Gordon student everywhere, and it just makes me kind of just perplexed. That I should guess. not be the poster child for your school. Let's yeah, because he had a bad time. He had a terrible time. Okay, my high is that. Valerie Biden, Joe Biden's sister, thinks that Meghan Markle would make a good president. This kind of came out of left field and it's just a random little news story. But during an appearance on Good Morning Britain, Valerie Biden was interviewed and asked if Meghan Markle should be president. and This is her response.
2: It's wonderful to have women in politics, more women, the more women we have, the better our democratic system will work, a better point of view, a different point of view, and uh, we embrace all women, and we welcome her to come in and join the Democratic Party. So you think she'll make a good potential candidate one day maybe for president? Yes, perhaps. Of course she will.
1: Oh, I love that uh, support. And it is kind of a weird question yeah, to ask. Why did that you, come up? <laughs> I don't know. I think as her suit stars one time said that she... they. Would have voted Meghan Markle for president. Wasn't that it was like, like back this, in 2016. Like so long ago. Yeah. I know it's so random, but you have to think that Piers Morgan, because Good Morning Britain was his show, that yeah. he's absolutely losing it. Forever. Oh, yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh. I guess this technically counts as a Jubilee update, my high, but there was news at the Met Gala that we didn't talk about last week for some odd reason that Lynn Manuel Miranda is collaborating with Andrew Lloyd Webber on a once in a lifetime project for the Jubilee. Like wait, it's for the jubilee specifically. Yes. Wait, what? Yes. And so they're doing some sort of thing. All the details are under wraps, and I feel like I just all I can think about is the King George the Third scene in Hamilton. Like that's one of my favorite favorite, those two appearances. Like. And having that blend of like Andrew Lloyd Webber and Lynn manuel Miranda, it's just fantastic. So uh
1: I cannot wait. I hope yeah. that's part of the We're the pageant. so close to the Jubilee Roberta. This so is close. getting big. I'm so excited. All right. Well just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. Here's part of a review. And it says, I'm not a royal watcher, but I enjoy this weekly podcast. It's fun, respectful, and not gossipy. The relationship between Roberta and Rachel is fun, and I enjoy how much they enjoy it. They're having fun, really. Thank you for a distraction from the horrible global news that saturated our lives. As an infectious disease doctor, these fun distractions are absolutely necessary. Wow. Thank you for your work as well as an infectious disease doctor. We are having fun. Roberta, I have so much, so much fun doing fun. this There interview. was <laughs> The word fun is in that review 10 times, and it's so true. Very All right. accurate. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please, please, please give us a five-star review if you have time. We have so much planned for the Jubilee, and we are so, so excited to unveil it so soon. Email us at info@gallerypodcast.com. And till next week, God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode.